Welcome to my podcast, D Sharp Thoughts, a podcast about strong women with some sharp thoughts and great inspirational stories. I'm Diana Sharp, your host, an empowerment and resilience coach for women. Today's episode is brought to you by D Sharp Coaching Services. We work with women to help them gain greater clarity around their purpose, redefine their goals, rediscover their voice, and create new goals and execute in a more strategic way through our personal development and career coaching services. Most women will admit that there's nothing like having a good girlfriend who is more like a sister, someone you can share the most intimate details of your life with, someone you can cry with, someone you can laugh with, celebrate wins with, someone who inspires you with their own story, of grace, courage, and strength. Today, I'll be talking to one such inspiring sister, Tashani Brown. Tashani Brown is the owner and CEO of New Era Trend LLC, a full service commercial and residential interior cleaning and painting services company that she started in 2011. She's also the owner and managing director at Serviced by Pros Consulting and Small Business Services, a service she started in 2015 to assist immigrants in the community with document preparation services. Service by Pros has now expanded and, has, and now provides consulting services and legal services for immigrants and attorneys. She's a former president of the Medgar Evers College Society for Public Administration, a school-run organization where she served while a student at the college. She has extensive experience in public speaking and creative writing. In the past, Tashani wrote for Izine Articles, The W Magazine, and other media and creative houses. Tashani is primarily an entrepreneur. However, she's also public administrator, community advocate, event host for Street Hype newspaper, and a philanthropist. During the pandemic, Tashani saw a need in her community, so she created a food program called Meals XO. Meals XO was created to provide fresh, healthy cooked meals to families who lost their income and benefits plus the elderly and disabled who cannot otherwise leave their homes to go to food pantries. Meals XO received traction and was also featured in the Caribbean Life newspaper. Tashani gained her Bachelor of Science in Public Administration with a concentration in law and social justice and a social welfare minor. She's currently enrolled at the Rutgers University pursuing a Master of Science in Public Administration. She also attends Binghamton, where she's pursuing a Victims Advocacy Certificate. She aims to be a part of a team of pioneers for change, who is willing to change policy to enhance and effect positive change in her community and positively impact the world. Tashani is a frequent speaker at various personal and wellness development events. She's also a poet, a writer, and an excellent cook. Her ambition is to one day add the title of being a lawyer to her list of accomplishments. She's affiliated with the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, the Brooklyn Chapter. She's also a member of the Brooklyn Chamber of Commerce and a member of Ignite National. Tashani, welcome to my podcast. 
Diana, thank you so much for having me here today. It's my absolute pleasure. Can you tell my listeners who is Tashani? Behind the profile of entrepreneur, community advocate, mom, um, and just an all around amazing individual who's doing so much in our community. How do you define yourself? Well, you already just defined me, but I would say I'm a very caring individual. I'm, because I care, and I'm, I'm, what I, what you would call an empath. I tend to give off myself wholeheartedly. I'm also a good getter, and I don't. I personally don't like to hear you can't do it or you know it's too much. I'm not that type of person. So for me, I'm always on the go. I always want if there's something wrong, I want to fix it. I believe that. So this is how I live my life. I have lived by the adage, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I know it may sound a little bit cliche, but to be honest with you, I grew up hearing that from my elders, my community, and I've lived by it. And I've actually proven that it, it is in fact true. Like I can do whatever I put my mind to. So I would say that I'm, I'm just a person who just like you, I'm here. I just believe that we all have a purpose and we must do something with it. So for me, I, as I said, I would say that I'm a go-getter. I'm a fighter. I hate the term strong black woman, but I would say that I'm a strong black woman, not physically, of course. <laughs> Mentally, I believe that I've equipped myself to deal with life's challenges as they go by. I like that. I think that's amazing. And one of the things that you said that stuck out to me was you believe in living your purpose. Um, and so share with our listeners today, um, what are some of the things you enjoy doing? What are your passions, your likes, the people and things that bring you joy? And finally, what's your purpose? It may sound very funny, but you know, the things that I like, I am a very simplistic person, but the things that I've liked, I've actually helped people along the way. I, I love to cook. <laughs> I love to read. I love to write. Um, and so my cooking over the years, I've cooked at several shelters, as you mentioned earlier, I started a food program. So through my love of these things, I've always found a way to give back. So I'm very simplistic. I These are some of the things that I like and I find that I use them to help my community as best as possible. My purpose, what is my purpose? Um, I would say my purpose on hurt here is simply to just love and give to be honest with you. It's to shape people that I feel like, and I hate to use the word less than because there's no one that's less than, but I believe my purpose here is to guide and lead the less fortunate. The less fortunate can be someone that is just a single mom like myself, but unfortunately is not able to find her own path because of what society may say um she is work you know she's capable of sometimes we live our lives based on what society say that we are like for example 
oh, you you come from the ghetto, so you know what, you can't do, There, it's impossible, it's gonna be so hard, where you live, people are just gonna look at your address, and they're not going to give you a chance, just your last name and all of that. So I believe that my purpose is to help the less fortunate. And again, as I said, it doesn't mean the homeless necessarily. It can just be that someone who's just at a place in their life where they feel like I'm at a roadblock and I just need that one person to give me some type of motivation or something so I just believe that my purpose here is to be a human connector is just to connect with people and meet them where they're at wherever that is wherever that person um, is in the world um, I just believe that that is my purpose whether it be through my cooking through my love of writing uh, my love of music, public speaking, whichever way, my community involvement, however way I can give, I believe that is my purpose, to be honest with you, is as again, just as I said, to connect with people. Um, that's amazing. You have a heart for people, you have a heart for service and to see them be better um, and to become more. Um, your purpose is to love and care for others. How did you unearth and develop these gifts and traits? How, how did you become, are you a natural giver, a natural lover of people or circumstances pull that out of you? You know, I would say both. It's funny that you said that. I think I'm a natural giver, judging um, from the long line. <laughs> when I used to live in Waterhouse, Kingston, I've always been this person to always be cooking and giving. And I remember I used to, me and my um, younger boyfriend back then, we started something where we would make cheese sandwiches and burgers and just be having people in long lines <laughs> by our gate to you know come for food so I have always been that person to always want to run a boat as they would say in Jamaica um to cook and give back so I would I would say that I'm a natural giver because I've always been given um I would I never had it by the way it's so funny because if you speak to if you speak to people here in America, they'd be like, what? Your father was very rich. He had the largest carpet store on King's Highway behind Wendy's. How you mean you grew up poor? But it, it was my reality. And I don't hold my, um, I don't hold any grudge against my father for it. We're at a space of where we're trying to heal. But um, regardless of who knows my father in America and how wealthy he is, that was not my reality in Jamaica. I, I grew up in very humble beginnings. And so I believe that my circumstances make me able to, to understand with another individual. You know what I'm saying? So um, I would say both, to be honest. My, I, I've, I've naturally liked to give and my humble beginnings also is what has helped me to want to give more, to give back in some way, because I understand I've been there. I appreciate that. You know what it is to be without. And so um, you have a tug on your heart to give back and to help others. Um, what were some of the challenges you faced growing up? What were some of the difficulties you experienced living in Jamaica as a young girl? Aye, aye, aye. You know, I knew that one day 
I would be somewhere where this question would be asked of me and I knew that I would have to answer. And so I'm very happy for the healing that I've had over the years because it made me able to sit here right now with you and able to answer this question without falling apart. But my childhood was very tough, to be honest with you. My childhood was very tough. My mother um, never had it. My mother left Montego Bay with me when I was five years old. And so I believe that's where my term was started. Um, you know, she left her family home and she moved to Kingston when I was five. Um, I remember being kidnapped at five <laughs> by um, someone that my mom was dating. Um, apparently, you know, she's a young woman, didn't understand what she was getting herself into. And so they kidnapped me and I was in an abandoned warehouse. I forgot my mother said, Oh, I don't remember how many days my mother said I was in there for, but um, I survived that. But I mean, after that, I think it was just a uphill battle, but there were nights when we were hungry, you know, because my mom was a single mom. But one thing I can give my mom for, she was always working and she always tried. So the nights when we were hungry would have been nights that she wasn't working and there were no other but I can tell you that she always tried to find a way to take care of us. So if we were ever hungry, it would have been like a night or two. But I was always this person who never wanted to let my circumstances be my um, final destination. I never succumbed to it and say, oh, because I live in this ghetto or that ghetto, this is my final destination. As a matter of fact, I was one of the people who would sit under my light post. <laughs> I don't know what they would call it, street lamp. That's what they call it here in America. And I would sit under there with no, you know, like we wouldn't have any electricity or not to disturb everybody else when they're sleeping because I would share one room with my brothers and sisters. So I would sit under the light post and study, you know, like I, you know what's so funny, Diana? I always looked up in the sky. You know how people say the sky is the limit? I always look up into the sky. Whenever I'm thinking, I'm studying, I always look. I don't know why I used to do it, but I always look up in the sky. And I, I used to see beyond, you know, the sky. I used to always see myself being in a suit. I don't know why with some type of briefcase and eels and so on. But I wouldn't say it was, um, it wasn't tough. I actually appreciate my upbringing. One thing I do remember, my dad used to come to Jamaica and he would, you know, you grew up in the ghetto and your father come and take you to the hotel on the North Coast that so you're going to the waterfalls and yes. all of these things. And you feel like, you know, you're in a whole different world. Like here you were ducking gunshot two, three nights ago. And then, you know, your dad come and take you out of that and bring you to the hotel in Montego Bay, living it up, eating burger. But one thing I always remember this disappointment on my mom's face because whenever he would bring me to have that lavish lifestyle <laughs> and then I would come back I would come back with my hand empty and my mom would whoop me and be like you sit down in Montego Bay you know having all these big things and on hotel and all of that and you come back no school fees school is in September you have no school fee no school uniform no bags nothing you're just laughing with this man you don't tell him and you know but I never thought that was my responsibility because I was a child and for me I didn't want to be in the middle of my parents um as I got older you know I get to understand that my dad explained I guess you know, not that I'm saying it's okay, but his reasoning was he didn't really want to financially, you know, bring money in the house because my mom and him not getting along and he just felt like if he did, 
then my mom would have used that money to take care of our other kids. But, you know, it was a bittersweet moment in my childhood, to be honest, because again, as I said, here you are in the Waterhouse ghetto or any ghetto at the moment that my mom would have lived at. And, um, you know, having a rough time and then your dad would just come out and take you away for two weeks and you just feel like you're in this whole different world. But one thing I do appreciate with my dad doing that is that I always knew that there was a possibility for better. You know what I'm saying? So I appreciated him doing that for me because if he hadn't done that, I I probably would have just succumbed to my circumstances. I would have just thought that that was the only way out. Um, but you know, it wasn't, it was, as I said, it was bittersweet. Um, there were life lessons. Um, but I, I have no regrets to be honest. I have no regrets in my dad's defense. When I did, um, pass my CXCs, he did came to my high school graduation and that was such a beautiful moment for me. I just felt so much. I felt proud um, I was always proud of my mom, but unfortunately, my mom worked so hard, so she didn't even get a chance to come to my PTA. So nobody knew my mom much. But when my dad came, and to be honest, it's like you're a young child and your father come from America and him have this accent and him come with him video camera at your graduation, so you feel like queen. <laughs> and he came to my prom, so that was a good time. And then when I went to UWE, he paid my first year school fee when I went to UWE. So I have to give him that. But um, yeah, that's my childhood to be honest with you don't know if I answer your question <laughs> lots of beautiful lessons um a mixture a mixture of some difficult moments but also some good lessons and I like what you said um you had some tough circumstances in Waterhouse but juxtaposed to that was the possibility and if more students can just see a possibility right if we can have that possibility mindset that all things are possible and it goes back to the first thing that you said i can do all things through christ who strengthens me a lot of stu- a lot of children and young people are living in situations where they don't feel hopeful um and some people have never left their communities they've never left that small space that cocoon right and so they don't know that more is out there and that's why we share our stories That's the number one reason why I created this podcast. So people can see people like me and you and know that there are possibilities. Um, There is an endless abundance of good in the world and opportunity in the world if we just get the opportunity ourselves to embrace it and to access it. And and, and that's a good story. Um, As you said, it was bittersweet. There were some tough moments, but there were also some good experiences. There was love from family. There was your mom taking care of you. There was your dad supporting you as best as he could. Um, But all of it together taught you some really important life lessons. Um, Would you, if you could just think back and reflect, what's one of those lessons that you would would have learned coming out of this experience? Um, I know you'd have learned so much, independence, resilience. But for you, what was a personal lesson that you took away from all of that, all that you had gone through, um, the sum total of your youth? What was one of the lessons that you took away from that? You know what's so funny? Um, I didn't even mention this part of my childhood that was so painful. And it brings me to the lesson that I've learned. Um, after I got into UWE, my younger sister's cousin, he was very obsessed with me at the time. And I remember when I was in high school, leading up to college, he would always write on the wall the day that I would die. <laughs> Cause if he can't get me, no one could get me. 
And I remembered when I just started UA and I was so happy because that was my way of getting out of Waterhouse. It was my way of, as I said, when my father would come, I would, you know, have experienced lying on the ground, hiding from gunshots and all of that stuff. But then when my father would come and he would take me to Montego Bay or whichever we are on the narcos to these, you know, resorts and so on. I would always see a different world. And I wanted that world, you know, not that I felt like I'm better than my mother or ungrateful, but I always wanted that world because I knew it existed and I didn't want to settle. But the lesson I learned, um, I never intended, when I got pregnant with my son at 19, I never intended to get pregnant. It was actually that situation where the young man stalked me for so long till at one point he got he got really um, fed up and he burned the house down. And I remember that time I had a phone number that ended with five, 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 um, four fives. And that was a time when cell phone just came out to the point where everybody could have a cell phone. And I had a Nokia and I just started again. I just started you and I remember when the fire was happening in the middle of the night around 3 a.m. My phone rang. And I answered and I hear a little baby on the phone. And I'm like, this little baby on the phone, just a little baby voice. It was so weird. You know, in Jamaica, people believe in the doppy and whatever. <laughs> so like, what is this? Just a little baby talking on the phone. So I got out of my sleep and I was like, this is weird. So anyway, I hung up the phone. I rung back the phone and called the person. And then the mom answered and said, oh, her baby was up. And the baby dialed the phone. Same time I'm talking to the mom, I look up in the ceiling and I saw this blazing roar of fire coming towards us. And I'm like, what is this? And I wake up my mom, I ran to my mom's room because my um, brothers and sisters and I share the same room. I ran to my mom's room and I said, mommy, mommy, fire, fire, the place is burning down. At the time, them used to always call me miser. save every little dollar, it doesn't matter. I always worked and, um, <laughs> you know, help out in church and everywhere else. And I also had a little small business because I always want to try a little business thing um, in Constant Spring Arcade called Jabo Employment Lawn and Garden Agency. And so at the time, I used to save up the money and them some a lot of money. I grabbed my bag with my money, <laughs> but then my school books, burnt up and thing and I was crying we lost everything in the fire and that's how I met my child's father because he was there and I was so depressed I was at my lowest low at the time I had just gone into the faculty of law you go to you so you probably know what I'm talking about and I had just gone in there and we were supposed to go like for at the time I don't know if anything changed for the first year you're supposed to if you pass your exam you can go to Barbados to do your I think at the time it was your first two years and whatever and I and you were supposed to go in August and I didn't get a chance I failed the exam and I got so depressed I had met him I think the fire was in April and I had met him at the time and you know love to talk guy love to talk and run in his mouth and I'm telling you the truth I was at my lowest low at that time he was one of the guys from Waterhouse and I figured you know what these people because the guy that burned on us was not the first person to antagonized me in wanting to be with them they always just felt like I'm bougie I don't belong there because I would just pass with my you know my books and my school bag and they feel like I'm just acting like I'm better than them because I don't sit on the street whatever so I just got so disappointed I, um I mean I got so overwhelmed and 
I, I practically gave up and I, you know, he was talking to me and I was like, you know what? I made this decision in my life I would have never made. And I said, you know what? Since them always bothering me, I'm going to be with one of them because then they'll all leave me alone. And so I started talking to him, giving my number. And, you know, I think at the time my mother was very depressed too, because my mom always felt that. And I think it's a Jamaican thing. I don't like old time Jamaican thing. Let me not say Jamaican thing, old time people thinking um, that when you're the oldest, you're not supposed to want to have the ambition of just want to go to you with to study law. You're supposed to want to help and take care. So I think my mother was disappointed to me at the, with me at the time. And I think she would be embarrassed if she, but it's my truth. Um, because she had said to me when I got into UWE, she said that it's because I wanted to show off and, you know, I'm acting delusional. I want to act like I'm big shot. But if I was thinking of her and the siblings, then I would go and get a job and go to evening class. And so it was a back and forth clash between me and her with me telling her that, no, that's not how you, the law school program go. You have to go to school full-time another day. You cannot do no evening class. And, you know, at the time, because my classes at the time were day classes, I just don't know if you has changed since then, but that was um, the thing. And so, you know, I used to feel guilty and I would go and I would tell him, my child's father, you know, that my mom nagging me and then I was just burned down and I felt that she felt lost. I felt lost because I felt guilty. I felt that because this guy was obsessed with me, you know, the house burned down and everybody lost everything due to me. I took on that and thing and so when he offered my child's father offered for me to come and live with him I just met this guy um April of the, the year before and the following year February on my birthday I moved in with him so after just knowing him for like nine months I just moved in with him I didn't know this guy we never had sex um I just moved in with him moved in with him February I got pregnant with my son in I think the September and had my son the May so I love my son very much but that's how my son came about and I would feel guilty I'm not gonna lie because even though my house burned on my grandfather who was alive my mom's father he was everybody was disappointed in me my aunt who I love so much she used to feel so good to see me because she was a um, emergency nurse I forgot um she was working in emergency units. I don't, I don't want to stand her title because I don't know what her title was, but she worked in the emergency unit and she used to be so proud of me when I was, would walk through Taylor Hall and go through the back there and stop at UWE hospital. And she would tell her people, oh, you know, my niece is at UWE. She's going to be a lawyer and so on. And so I felt like I let everyone down and I got pregnant. But as I look back, I love my son. He's an honor roll child. And I look back and I would say that the lesson that I learned is that we can't have regrets. Whatever is going to happen is going to happen. It's how we deal with it. Because one thing I was sure of, Diana, was that I would have never call any family member in America and beg them a diaper for my son. I made up my mind. I was very determined. And it wasn't because I was boastful. It wasn't because I wasn't humbler. I think I'm better than anyone. I wanted to prove a point that I am not going to be the statistic that people thought I was going to be. Because again, I was like a first generation, aside from my aunt who went to um, UWE for nursing, I was like a first generation to go to, to university. And for me to have drop out and have a child nobody didn't nobody never give me the chance like you're giving me to explain oh you know the fire happened and so I got depressed 
and I met this guy. I just gave up. I was at my lowest of lowest points. Um, no, you know, no one gave me that chance. People just knew that. No, she what list. Look how much people wanted this opportunity. Yada, yada, yada. Even my father, like, even though he was not there in the earlier years, um, financially, the fact that, you know, the one time he was really there and paid for my school fee to go to university, he himself was disappointed. And I, I, I just, I felt like I let everyone down. But looking back, I would say that the lesson that we can learn is that life is going to happen to us. It's going to happen. You're going to go down the road and you're going to have your rent money in your bank and it's somebody will take that rent money somebody will grab that rent money from you but oh how are you gonna deal with it you cannot sit on the subway and cry you're going to go to one of these services in new york city and you're going to go as a single mom to find help as much as you can and if one place tell you no you're going to go to another place because life will happen is how we deal with it is the issue that's amazing um the lesson is amazing but just to get to the lesson, it was difficult. It was a difficult process um, to be only 18 or 20 and to be experiencing all of that, um, to be so young and not have anybody in your corner, no one to talk to, um, no one to afford you any support, um, no one to recognize that you yourself was vulnerable and you needed somebody to be an advocate for you. Um, what made me feel in, all right, so, if you had asked me what made me feel inspired in Jamaica, I would have tell you, say, just looking at the little youth, them, the young men down there, where I grew up and how they're displaced and you have uptown, downtown saga, you know, the colorism and the social um, ladder, I would have said it motivated me when I look at my child, not to be one of the young men who's at the bottom of the ladder in Jamaica. If you ask me what inspired me here in America, I would say every time I look at my son's skin color, I realize that he's a black man. He's, he's, I can't peel off his skin and hang it up. So it inspires me to be an example for him. Unfortunately, um, I had to leave his father because of a domestic violence situation. It was never my um, intention to be a single mom. It was never mine, but I would have never let a fool lead me. And I would never sit down and let a man beat me. It wasn't gonna happen. So every day looking at my son and see that he's a black man and I'm a black woman raising him, it inspired me to keep going because I cannot let my son down. I cannot let him down. You know, I am blessed to have male figures in his life that up, you know, up tell him and tell him, you know, you got to keep going, you got this, help him to build his self-confidence and so on. But at the end of the day, I'm still his mother. He was a child that was born through an emergency C-section. He was not supposed to be born. So for me, every day looking at him and knowing that he exists, even though he's 16 years old, that's what inspired me. Because to be honest, Diana, with some of the things that I've been through in my life and the fact that some of the time I look, even in my um, social circles, just being a businesswoman, some of the time you want to give up, you know, because it's like you're in a tough world as a single mom and is not only enough, but having something and someone to inspire you, which is my son, is what keeps me going. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. Um, how do you define courage and what does that look like in your daily life? Um, 
um, courage is the ability to just get up and brush your teeth, you know, to be honest with you. Because you see mental illness, people talk about it like it's a joke. Mental illness is not an easy thing. Depression um, and stress is mental illness. PTSD, which I have, which I have, um, and you wouldn't be able to tell because of, oh, I, you know, but come on, if you were kidnapped, your house burned down, your child's father abused you. I mean, who wouldn't have PTSD? But having courage is just to get up. The fact that I can get up and get my hair done and brush my teeth and run to business and have employees, women who said depend on me to go. And my son who looks at me as superwoman is courage. Little do they know that I cry my head, put the pillow over my head sometime and cry, especially if I have a if I get a B plus and because I'm a I'm a I'm a stickler for that. Especially if I get a B plus and a, a paper that I felt I worked so hard for, I'm gonna put my head on the pillow, I'm gonna cry. Or if I just, I didn't, you know, get a deal closed in my business. Um, so just to get up and brush your teeth and every day and keep going, put on your clothes and keep going is courage because not a lot of people is able to mentally do that, to be honest with you. Um, so I think that's courage, it's simple. I, it's, there's no fancy thing about it. I won't give you a fancy example just for me to be able to get up and brush my teeth every day and get going put on my heels drive over that bridge and go to work sit in my office that i think is courage and i agree with you it's not a fancy definition or a fancy term it's the real ways we show up despite falling it's the real ways we show up despite whatever it is that we're feeling it's the ability to keep going in the toughest and most arid conditions um, and sometimes that looks like just getting up out of your bed and brushing your teeth, putting on work clothes, getting ready for a meeting, showing up and going after that contract after a million no's. Um, courage to protect your young black male, courage to teach him um, good values, um, values of honor and value and respect. Um, you know, that's simply what it looks like. It looks like different things for different people, but it's not a fancy word. And I really appreciate that. Um, you migrated to the States um, as a young adult. What has your experience been like living in the United States? Um, boy, <laughs> again, you see, the thing is, unfortunately, when you speak your truth, it makes other people uncomfortable. And that's not the intention. But um, my dad fell for me when I was 20. When I got pregnant with my funny story, when I was pregnant with my son, because to be honest with you, I'm going to be honest, I never thought my dad would have filed for me to come to the US. I never thought it. I've always just felt like my dad disappoints me. There were times when he would say he's going to come. And as I said, living in Waterhouse and all the ghetto them that my mother brought me in, my dad coming was an escape. And when he never come, I hold a grudge. I'm not lying. I hold a grudge. I'd be disappointed. Um, he used to laugh about the fact that when I started knowing that he would stay at the Wyndham Hotel, I would pop my bag and I sat down in the lobby waiting on him <laughs> before he even landed. And I would have my bag there and he would come down and then, you know, the people would tell him, oh, your daughter is here. Like even one time I got there two days before he got there and I slept in the lobby. I didn't care. And people, you know, like, man, miss young lady, you can't stay here. I would go and find a way to hide on the, um, the, the beach with my bag <laughs> until my dad come. So, um, oh my God, <sighs> Diana, this is so, it's emotional, but I'm okay. <sighs> 
I just need a moment. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, but take up take a moment and you don't have to laugh through it. Um, you can allow yourself to feel what you're feeling and know it's okay. Um, whether those feelings are disappointment, anger, um, some sort of anguish at what you had to go through, but then also an appreciation of how far you have come and then eventually gratitude, right? Because he did eventually um, come through. So do take a moment. Yeah. So anyway, so because I know that my father let me down in the past, I never thought my dad would have filed for me. And so, you know, it's just like a whole roller coaster moment when the fire happened. Again, I met my child's father, didn't get to know him. Like after eight months, just moved in with him, got pregnant, dropped out of law school, all of that stuff. So when the young man brought the letter that came from the embassy, at the time, the letter went to the home that I was living. And when he brought it and gave it to me and I opened it and saw that my dad fell for me I was shocked but I was eight months pregnant and I remember when I called my dad I re I re I took a while to call him I took like two weeks before I called him but I called my sister who was living in Montego Bay at the time because he fell for both of us and I told her you know daddy fell for us and she you know look a young girl at the time jumping up and down and screaming happy but me I, I didn't know what to expect because I was eight month baby in my belly um eight month pregnancy I should say I was eight month pregnant but my dad finally called me and he said Tasha you know I fell for you Camille told me she got the letter how come you not saying anything at the time when he called me I was leaving from around where my mom was living and going back home with my grandma I live with my child's father and he said how oh, you breathing so heavy and I said I didn't want to say anything. He said, are you pregnant, Tasha? And I eat it from him. And so for a long time, I did. I refused to come. The papers were sitting there because I had a young baby and I wasn't going to leave my child. And so when I went to the embassy and told them I have a young baby, they said to me, your dad fell for you as a minor. Now that I understand immigration, I knew that what that mean. It meant that the category that he fell for me under was for him to file for a child, a minor child. Um, not a, that meaningful, it filed for me when I was under 21 and that under a 21 year old child under that category, you can't bring a child. So when I went there and I told them that I have a baby, they said, your dad filed for you as a minor, so you can't bring your child. I cried and I said to the lady, but I have a baby, I can't leave my baby. She said, well, you don't have to go to America. But at the time I was in a rock and a hard place because my child's father was beating me mercilessly. And I wanted to escape. I would get a job. I remember I got a job working with the UN, little old me working with the UN, and I was getting $80,000 a year. And I remember he would come every day at my workplace and, you know, I couldn't escape him. He was talking me, stalking me. So my only way of escaping was to come to America. And so I had to make a tough decision. I remember this lady, Paulette, when I was at his place of business and she witnessed him eat me with a board and she said, was because at the time when I got my green card initially I came here after I finally decided to get a green card I came here and I went straight back to Jamaica I refused to live here and she said to me you know many people want green card and you sit in Jamaica getting beaten from man girl you gotta be tough your son you have a son you can't bring him now but you could bring him later and so I took him I took the chance and I left my son who was four years old at the time and I came here and when I came here it was it was rough my dad had a three-story house it's true 
because people will be like, why? As I said, it's people know my father and people know me. So if you say something people like that can't be true, a father of a three-story house, it's true, but I never lived there. I cannot get into why my father did not want me and my sister there, but we couldn't live with him at the time. Um, you know, he didn't want us to live with him. And that's okay. That's his space. And so my sister helped me into getting, I remember I called my dad and he was like, well, when you come back here, you can't come to my home. You're going to have to find somewhere to go. You're a grown person now. You know, you're an adult. You can't live in my home, whatever. And so my sister got me this place in Queens. And um, I came from the airport straight into the room that she got me in Queens. But guess what? I came here with $400 and the $400 run out. And when the money run out, I came, to be honest, I came here delusional. Here I was working at the UN. I also worked at a company as an operation manager and so on. And so when I came here, um, I came here with the hope that, okay, I could get a job in that realm, but it wasn't happening for me. So I had to take something else. And so it was a little bit roller coaster. There were times when I was homeless and so on and have to eat from food pantry, but eventually I worked my way up and, you know, to where I'm at now. So there's so much in between, but I know we don't have much time, but it was rough because in my early years, as I said, I was homeless, but, I worked my way up, always wanted to go to school. I went to your college to get my paralegal certificate. After working as a OMLT, I realized that wasn't for me. I got a job at Spar and Bernstein, one of the top immigration law firms in um, Manhattan. And, you know, I've been there working until I start my cleaning business and so on. But it was a little bit rough. I won't say it was always smooth sailing. Sorry for the long-winded answer. <laughs> But those are some of the circumstances, though, that refine us and strengthen us and equip us to become, you know, skilled and gifted at different things. What's one thing you wish you knew before you had migrated? And what are some of the hidden gems and blessings that you discovered along the way that you never anticipated? So I hear the challenges. I hear the tough lessons. When you migrate, you know, you hope and you anticipate that you're moving into better, right? Sometimes we live in a smaller house. We expect that we're going to live in a bigger house. Sometimes we live in a house with no electricity and no pipe to our running water. We expect we're going to have that. We maybe had a small refrigerator. So we always assume that the pastures are going to be greener and things are going to be better. It wasn't like that for you. You had some difficult days in the early days when you went there, but you rebuilt yourself through education, through hard work, through perseverance, through discipline. Um, so what's one thing you wish you knew before you had migrated? What's one thing you wish somebody had shared with you? And what are some of the hidden gems and blessings that you have discovered along the way that you never quite anticipated? One thing I wish I knew um, was I wish I understood America and racism at the time. Um, coming from Jamaica, you're Jamaica, you know that we, it's everything is about education. Um, once you have education, it's like the, it's possible. The doors that opens for you are possible. But um, unfortunately, coming here is 
it, it gave me a wake-up call that it wasn't the same. I came here very educated. I did my first year at UE. I was in the law program. It doesn't matter. People didn't care about my resume. It was all about who you know. So um, I just wished I knew and understood because then I felt that I could have been able to navigate my way a little bit better. But I'm grateful for the lessons because it has taught me and helped me to even be stronger and want to even lead more and be more community oriented and involved because now I understand what America is really about. Awesome. Um, thanks for sharing. What are some of the hidden gems, some of the things you learned um, and some of the blessings you received that you wouldn't have gotten those uh, lessons and blessings if you didn't go through some of the difficult moments and things you never quite expected and you just stumble upon them. Um, in your in your journey to resettling and growing in America? Some of the gems for me is I found my strength. I was, if anybody remembered me growing up, I was always a kind of quiet. I talked, but I was always one of the people who were quiet and it was, it was very easy to bully me. But I learned, um, I discovered myself. You see, because of my journey, I... I've spent more time knowing myself. So it's kind of hard for me to say anything about any gems otherwise than what I have learned about myself. So some of the gems I've found is that I am strong and not strong as in I'm going to, oh, you know, step over you and whatever. Strong as in I can overcome everything because being kidnapped at five and house burned down, I've a child through emergency C-section. I mean, I know what I can't handle at this point, but um, some of the gems I've found is that I have discovered my strengths and um, I've discovered my worth because it's so funny and it's so weird to hear me say that as a woman who people look at as very confident, but it took me a long time to understood my words. And that is why it's kind of hard to back me up in a corner and tell me said, this is for me, because if it, I'm gonna tell you no, if I believe it's not for me, there's nothing you can tell me. So some of the gems I've found is that, and I've also found that, say what you may, America is um, a place that, you know, it's kind of like a, what should I say now? It's a bittersweet thing with America. So being, a first world country and a country that is at the center of the world. I have also found the benefits um, for myself as a Jamaican American here. There's a lot of benefits that I've otherwise, you know, I've gotten to speak up a lot where I feel like Otherwise, I, my voice was shunned and there was no support. But there's a lot of support system here. And that is why I guess that Quiet Tashani is now chatting and can't shut up <laughs> because of these things that I've discovered. That's amazing. It helped you to find your voice and to find your strength and to refine your resilience. How did you transition from being a student, um, you know, working real hard to reestablish yourself in the U.S. to becoming a successful entrepreneur, a mom who is really doing amazing things in her son's life, um, a master's student, an advocate, and a community change agent. How did you move from that place where shy 20-something-year-old to confident business owner, um, speaker, community advocate, 
um, and just doing so much and managing them well. I know they're difficult days, but how did you get to this place? And now that you've gotten here, how do you keep it all together? I must tell you this. You see the school I went, Mega Everest College, I'm going to be honest with you. When I got there, I knew I was studying law in Jamaica. And then when I went there, I went to study public administration because I realized that I'm, I love community and I love giving back. My businesses actually led me to what? To start being community oriented because when I started my business, I came across this company called cleaning for a reason and so I would send the workers and myself too used to go and give cleanings for free to women with cancer and um, unfortunately some of the time I would be with them and then we go back two weeks later and they passed and so I have become a little bit passionate about giving back in that way through my business. And when I went to Mega Everest College and started doing public administration and hearing about a different part of history, because in Jamaica, you hear about the history of Nani, of the Maroon, Paul Bogle, all of them people, but came coming here and hearing the disparities that African-Americans face. And being at the school I have been and being around the professors I have been around have really led me to be a little bit more passionate about um, the things that I'm doing. I don't know if I answer your question. Yes, you did. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for that. Um, what are some of the services you offer to your clients? How do you serve your community? Talk right, to us about your two businesses. Yeah. All right. So through um, New Era Trend Maze and Pros, which is the cleaning service, I started this again, as I said, about two years after I started. Actually, a year after I started in 2012, I started partnering with Cleaning for a Reason and giving back to women who were cancer, you know, suffering from cancer, and a lot of them had terminal cancer. And I started that program and I loved it. But then after we started offering hoarding services, and excuse me, I don't People say I don't say the age, but I meant hoarding with the H-O-A-R-D-I-N-G. Um, after I started offering that services, um, I would realize a disparity. Like I work with social work agencies and some of the social workers for my non-Black clients, they were able to find funding to pay for the services for the clients. But I noticed when I go to the Black clients, they are being evicted because of the mess that they have in their home and neighbors will complain about them and so on, but they are at risk of eviction and there's no way to help them to pay for the service. And I had to come up, I had to sit down and literally, I remember one night I went to this gentleman who was a veteran and that's why I was really upset because he was a veteran and he couldn't get the money to pay for the service. And I came home and I cried and I sat, I remember sitting around my dining table and my son said, mommy, what's wrong? And I said, I have this client. I went to him for two weeks now. I did the walkthrough and everything. I sent the quotes and the, the, the social work agency is telling me they can't pay for it. And he has to use his pension and I don't want this man to use his pension. And he would, he was the, the gentleman was very upset and was like, why should he have to use his pension? So it's like, he has to pay, use his pension or be in risk of eviction. And I sat down. I had to work out something because the reason why the service is a little bit costly is because of the fact that there's several um, elements involved. You have 
you're either going to use a carting company or you have to rent a dumpster. And either of that is very expensive. Either of those rather is very expensive. So I had to come up and create a program, work something out with them, you know, like literally beg them. So listen, man, this is a veteran, elderly people, whatever. We got to do something. Get them to do a, at a discount and we would help them by pack up the stuff so when they come they don't have to do much but just take it out so that saved time and money and I had to literally just pay my workers out of my pocket because there's no money to pay anybody um, and I had to literally start finding ways to allocate money from different set of services to put like put together put, put away a little piggy bank or whatever for that services and um, after that I created in 2016 my senior um give back program where we offer very low cost to help them maintain their home by going in and like on a daily or bi-weekly basis to help them clean their home. Recently, I brought it back after the pandemic. I brought it back because I honestly realized that a lot of our elders, unfortunately, not able to go about as they usually do, but they still need that help. So, and a lot of them cannot afford home health aid services. So that's some of the way I give ways I give back. Um, with Service by Pros, I try to partner with local organizations to help people with filling out their citizenship or their DACA forms and so on, free of cost or at a very minimal cost. So that those are some of the ways we do citizenship classes for really small fee. Um, for a couple of weeks, um, like $60, whatever, to help people on their way, their path to citizenship. So those are some of the ways that I give back. And as you know, I recently started the nonprofit Meals Exo and so on in giving food and so on to single moms and elderly and so on who cannot afford it due to being displaced and also people who cannot get services because they're probably not legal immigrants, so they can't get um, they're non-immigrants. Let's not use the word legal immigrants. Non-immigrants, um, so they can't get services that other immigrants could get and so on. And so I had to create that service for them. So those are the ways I give back personally and through my businesses. Awesome. Um, what's the top three advice or what's your, what's your most single most cogent advice you would have for persons who want to start a business? Um, make sure it's something that you like, you're passionate about. Don't follow the next man because um, what is for someone is for someone. You may follow and it may, you know, just try to outdo someone and may not do it as best. We all have a talent in us. We all are blessed with a talent. Just try to get inside of you and make sure, you know, start something based on what you're talented or as something that you're passionate about or have experience in. Because sometimes, you know, some are winning on a talent, I'm joking. Um, or, you know, you may not find your purpose or passion, but you may have an experience in something and you find I can make money off of it. You can um, start a business in that. Excellent advice. Something you have a unique talent or gift in, something you're definitely passionate about, something you're knowledgeable about, or your purpose. Some people get lucky. They get an opportunity to marry their purpose with business, and that's amazing. But there are other talents and gifts you can use, even if you have not yet fully discovered your purpose. And it always pays to know about the industry that you're getting into. 
thank you so much for that. Um, Tashani, we're, get, we're wrapping up our interview and I just have a few more questions for you. What was 2020 like for you? How did it affect your personal life and business? And what is one life impacting lesson that you have learned that you'd like to share with our listeners? Wow, 2020 was emotional because my grandma, the, um, God bless her soul, that was in the nursing home, you know, and I think I put it up on Facebook, so it's like the world sees already. But unfortunately, we all thought we had time. And so I was, I was plagued with busy, quote unquote busy. And I always was in several things. I would go to school all day, nighttime. I was the president of the Mega Evers um, Public Administration Association at the time. And so I was doing so many things. And whenever I decided to go look for my grandmother, the hours would have closed. I thought I had time and then I lost my grandmother. Every time I kept saying next week, next week, and I'm gonna look for grandma, next week, next week, and I never got a chance and my grandma passed. So that was very emotional for me. Another thing that was emotional for me is one of my employees passed. I never shared that with anyone. I shared that with one person actually, um, because that person was a pastor and he's my friend and I felt, you know, telling him and he could pray for me. I felt so guilty because I felt like I never, um I told her not to go to work and she's a hardworking lady she don't like to sit down and you know I, her son and everybody would tell her not to go to, to work and she still went I felt like I wasn't I didn't persist enough and I didn't push enough there were times when I lie in my bed and say you know she was one of my valid employee I loved her very much and I probably should have just paid her you know make she just stay woman paid her paid her and not make her work you know but she insisted on going in the field and so when she passed from COVID, even though the family tell me not to blame myself, they doubt it's me. She was traveling on the train anyway, because we, we had proper um, precautions. You know, the employees got PPEs. They were all safe. But for some reason, I didn't want her on the train. You know, I didn't, I don't know. Up to this day, people said, don't blame yourself. Again, as I said, we took proper precaution. But at the same time, I felt, I took on that guilt. Again, even though it has nothing to do with me, I still took on the guilt and wondered what if she had never gone to work, I don't know. But that was an emotional time for me. Also, we lost a lot of our contracts because businesses were closed. And so a lot of our monthly contracts that we would have gotten, those were gone. You know, now we're trying to get back up, but we lost a lot of those contracts. We did get work. For people who wanted to sanitize, but a lot of the contracts that we had cleaning offices, they, they those places were, and um, employees were had to be displaced, get lesser hours. And the thing with me, I take on things. I, I love my employees, and so when they're not working, I'm not one of the bosses who's gonna be home and be like, "Oh, I'm happy. I get to eat, and my son and I are happy." No, I I these people have family, and they have bills to take care of and so that was emotional for me now we're trying to get back up you know and get back out there and some people have gone I wish them best you know I understand I don't take it personally and who, who is still here with me I'm very grateful but it was a tough time it was a tough time and at the same time while going through that I knew I had to give back some way somehow I knew there were people who don't have food can't afford it can't go to pantries because they're sick 
and so on. And I, I felt that I needed to do that. I needed to do that. So I rallied my friends, associates, whoever wanted to help at the time, and we did the meal program. But it, it was tough. It was emotional. You know, it was really an emotional time for me in 2020. Wow. I'm sorry about that. I knew about your grandma and I think you also experienced the loss of a good friend too, but I didn't yes. know about your employee. And I'm really sorry about that. For many people, their businesses kept going, life kept going, they were healthy. Um, but for many people, we lost loved ones. Um, we lost key employees um, and you lost people who were close and, and you know, valued and important to you. So I just want to say that I'm, you know, I'm sorry about all that your business went through um, and I'm happy you are rebounding. How has it changed your business? And what's one thing you're doing now to reposition yourself as a business in 2021 and beyond? How has the pandemic shifted your business? I'm happy you asked because um, in 2020, my employees and I were trained in um, doing CD, you know, following the CDC guidelines. One other thing with me, whenever I'm training something, I try to train my employees too. Even the ones that gone, them gone with my certificate that I paid for, but whatever. Um, you know, I'm not bitter about it, but, um, yeah, so I have learned that with times come sh different shifts in your life. You have to change with the times in business. It's just like with technology. Now we have newer software. We are doing some of our trainings through Zoom, um, training that does not, you know, require hands-on. We also now have bought new equipment in regards to um, sanitization and so on. Again, as I said, more people are more focused on sanitizing. So we have people call us to come in at least twice or three times a week now, not just to do cleaning, but just to sanitize and fumigate the place. So that's a blessing, you know? So with everything, there's always a little blessing come out of it, you know? Um, in the Bible, if you remember Job, the story of Job. So it's not, God not leave your death of love. You just have to believe. And I know for some people, I should always quote God, but I actually do. He's my driving. He's my vehicle. He's my GPS. I may use him to guide. So you will hear me talk about God a lot. But um, yeah, so I, 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 out of all of that, we still came back bouncing. And, you know, it has been a blessing that now we come, as, as I said, regroup and realize that, yeah, you, oh my God, this is actually something that we have to do now. So now we do a lot of fumigating. We've always done event spaces so now we have a lot of calls from event spaces more than we usually did in the past because after an every every event people don't want to just mop anymore people want to fumigate so that has been a blessing for us awesome so you have expanded you have gone into an area of business that you were in previously we have expanded your services in this area and that's one of the things that we have learned throughout the pandemic is how to be agile flexible nimble and how just to pivot and to see things from a new perspective and to see the opportunity in that and you mentioned this earlier but even a time where others were thinking about themselves you are thinking about others um, and it's that time that you created um, me XO. Tell us more about your program and how can persons get involved? Is it still ongoing and how can we support this initiative? Actually, it is still ongoing. It's actually very much ongoing. It's, um, you're not the first to ask this question because we used to post so much. Um, I was the camera guy. <laughs> 
And um, because I don't cook as much other people cook, I don't really take photos a lot and they seem to not have the time. And so I don't push it on people. We're actually going in new direction, look out for bigger, better things. I don't want to say much about it, but um, we do, we do still going. Um, we're looking to go on a higher route. So, but with all of that comes paperwork and applications and grants and so on. So, um, you know, there's things to come if not late 2021, early 2022, but we're trying to go in a more professional realm. So that's why we're kind of in the background. But yes, we we may not serve as much people as possible, but there were always some elderly on our programs that we can't leave behind because they need us. These are homebound elderly people um, or people who just can't get out as much. And so we have, we can't not do it for them. And we have um, mothers in shelters. One of the things that I can give away is that Meals Exo has expanded past just food because knowing that we have mothers in the shelter now, we are start, we're in the background working with them to partner with other community organizations to get them into school, get, um, school program, help them to apply for assistance with housing and so on. So it's just, you know, working in the background, but we're looking to do more things and get to know our clients, see what they want and work with other community organizations. So that's kind of what we're doing. The other day, um, I happened to cook <laughs> um, and one of our new cooks, she cooked and she put, she, she sent me the photo and I put it up, but um, we're not putting as much photo up right now because we're in the background, but yes, it's still going and we're still looking for volunteers. You can never have too many hands because as much as people are volunteering their time, they still have a life. People still want to go on vacation and do other things at times and deal with their families. So we're grateful for the help, but we still need drivers. We still need more admin staff because it gets tough sometimes. I'm one of the main admin staff and it gets tough sometimes to be sending out the emails, listening to the call, communicating with community people when I have my own business and I'm in two schools at the moment so it's kind of hard sometimes but yeah um it's still going it's still very much going and we're only looking to get better awesome thank you so much for that um how can we contact you for business persons who are in and around your business community how can they reach out to access your services and how can persons volunteer? Um, so if you could just give me your business names, how we can contact you, your social media handles, and the best way to reach you. Okay, so for New Era Trend Maids and Pros, which offer the cleaning services and help with the elderly um, offering services, you can call us at 718-782-7767, or you can email us at info at Trend dot com you can also reach service by pros at 718-304-5064 or you can email us at info at servicebypros.com if you want to volunteer with meals xo you can email us at meals.xo20 at gmail.com I am on Facebook as my name, Tashani Brown, but again, that is Sassy, S-A-S-S-Y underscore Sabrina B on Instagram. There you can see everything that I do. Awesome. As we close this episode, what words of hope do you want to leave with our listeners today? You know, you just said the word. <laughs> the hope I want to leave with people is... Um, 
just listen to your art. You just said the keyword, listen. Listen to your art because when you listen to your art, it's actually God speaking to you. And again, I'm going to mention God um, because he's always in the midst of everything. He never leaves us. So whenever it, it the quiet comes or the storm comes and you, you're at a place where you're at a standstill, everything seems impossible, just listen to your art because your art always always will tell you exactly what to do and again that's God speaking through you he's not going to come in front of us and say hey Tashani hey Diana this is what you should do he's going to come to you so when when it, it, it seems impossible and it seems like nothing is going listen to your heart I know that listen it's easier said than done there's anxiety you get anxious you get nervous you start to feel afraid I always say to this to someone if you become if you lose your apartment today tomorrow what what is the worst going to happen to you you're just going to have to go into a shelter. Are you going to die? You're just going to have to go. What are you going to do? You cannot go on the street go sleep. You cannot go into the train station or sleep. You're going to have to probably try to get into a shelter, find, figure out a way, go and church something. But you cannot die. You cannot kill yourself. So, um, you know, people be like, oh, you know, she's so insensitive. What is she talking about? There's not people who's that strong and not everybody can get into a shelter. Listen to me, baby. If you lose your darn apartment, it's already happened. You lose your apartment. You cannot kill yourself. If you lose the job, you lose your job already. You cannot kill yourself. Listen to your heart. It will I'm telling you, it will, and I'm, I can only tell you these things because it happened to me before. I made it off to listen to my art. I was a person who was plagued with anxiety. I was very worrisome. And the moment I stopped and started listening to my art, everything fall into place. So I can only give someone, the hope I can leave with someone is that it will get better. Just listen to your art. And, you know, it's, it's really true. Whatever we put out there, the tongue is very powerful. Whatever you tell yourself is going to happen is exactly what will happen. Awesome job. Thank you so much for that powerful encouragement and affirmation. It has been my absolute pleasure talking with Tashani Brown, entrepreneur, speaker, and community advocate. Thanks, Tashana, for coming on my podcast. You are so welcome, Diana. Thanks for having me today. It was my pleasure. Thanks for coming and sharing. I know you have so much to share um, and you could get really, really deep in your story. And I know you have shared this already, but there's so much inside of you books, poems, stories, short novels. Um, and I encourage you to go ahead and share the many lessons that you have learned just through from your own experience. Um, thanks for listening to D-Sharp Thoughts podcast. This podcast was sponsored by D-Sharp Coaching Services. If you know someone who is between the ages of 18 to 45 and who would benefit from my academic advising and career coaching services, please send me an email at dssharp2013 at gmail.com or on my website and I'll be happy to connect with you. Do show us some love by sharing our podcast if you know someone who'd enjoy a dose of sisterly inspiration. Stay tuned for next week's episode when we talk to another sister who is just like you. Until next time, be kind to yourself and others. Mm -hmm.